Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N and is available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609. 3711. All right, this is episode 22 of the all new Doc Washburn show. It's day, pardon me, <laughs> it's Wednesday, November 10th. Yes, I was, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious. Last November's presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Uh, Not to mention the fact that uh, all too often we're doing this by the seat of their pants. We're keeping an eye on the Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial. He's testifying in his own defense. And the uh, totally odious and hapless Prosecution is now trying to uh, poke holes in the idea of self-defense, and they're just idiots. They're just idiots. Anyway, more about that later. I want to start by telling you something that happened to me yesterday after the show. You know, I used to do a local radio talk show in Little Rock, Arkansas for over seven years. And one of the first people I met when I got to Arkansas was... uh, young man named Stephen Finnegan. We became good friends over seven years ago. For the last couple of years that I did the radio talk show, uh, Stephen Finnegan was my go-to guy to fill in for me when I was on vacation. Of all the people that ever filled in for me on that local radio talk show, I think he was the only one who didn't try to get as far away from what I did as he possibly could when he got on the air seemed like just about everybody else, um, when uh, given the task of filling in for me when I was off, would say, gee, what does Doc do every day? Oh, Doc talks about what's in the news every day. Okay, so I want to do anything but that. Stephen Finnegan actually did the show prep. I want to actually talk about what's in the news every day. Anyway, anyway, we, we became good friends. Yesterday afternoon when he called and asked if I wanted to ride with him to go to a local school board meeting in Little Rock, Arkansas, I was happy to go along. But when we got there, there was trouble. The woman who met us at the door said we had to wear masks. Now, I knew there was no point in arguing with her. It's not like it was her decision. I mean, you may as well go to the drive-thru at a Popeye's fried chicken and start arguing with them about why they don't serve cheeseburgers. Nothing they could do about that, nothing she could do about that. She was just doing her job. Her bosses know masks don't work, but they like the feeling of controlling other people. That's my opinion, and you're entitled to it. So we left. And I immediately posted on Facebook the following words. My friend Stephen Finnegan asked me to accompany him to the Pulaski County School Board meeting. The woman at the door told me I would have to wear a mask. I refused to comply with their religion. 
I posted the same thing on uh, Twitter, I think, in an abbreviated fashion because you can only post so many characters on Twitter. Anyway, the responses on the, on Facebook were uh, were interesting, to say the least. Quite interesting. One lady said, this is a public health issue. Shame on you. And the lady responded to her, being forced to breathe one's own expelled carbon dioxide is a health issue. And I responded to the woman who said, shame on you. I said, masks don't work. This is a control issue. Shame on you, my dear. I refuse to convert to your religion. Another fellow said to her, but it's okay to go to ball games? Anyway. Anyway. I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm not going to play their game. And I keep on hearing people saying more and more people are done with it too. I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I'm sure people are done with it in some parts of this country, but I tell you what I noticed in Arkansas. At one point, it seemed like every time I went to the grocery store, 90% of the people were wearing masks. And you know the old saw, people would say, well, you can tell the Biden voters. No, I'm talking about in deep red areas of Arkansas where almost everybody voted for Trump. 90% of them were wearing masks. Why? Because they believed the governor and they believed the health department, who did nothing but lie to them, by the way. So some months back, when the governor said, Okay, well we're gonna we're gonna take the mask mandate off. All of a sudden, I would go to the grocery store, and ninety percent of the people were not wearing masks. I'm like, great, we can finally get over this, right? A few weeks later, the governor and the health department in Arkansas were going, well, we got this. Uh, really bad Delta, vi- uh, Delta variant coming in, so that's going to be very dangerous. And all of a sudden, you go to the grocery store and half the people were wearing masks again. I mean, God bless you. Bless your heart. If you want to be a sheep, that's fine. That's your, it's your right as an American to be a sheep. Good for you. God bless you. But I'm not going to. I'm just not going to. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that when God closed one door, he opened another. I'm thankful that when I got fired for for refusing to take a jab of an experimental drug that has people, young, healthy people, dropping like flies, God put together a, uh, a group of people to allow me to do this podcast. Now, this brings us to Sean Hannity's show on the Fox News channel last night. He brought on two guests, 
to talk about vaccine mandates. Freedom-loving Dan Bongino and the fascist Geraldo Rivera. And I use that term advisedly because Geraldo has a deep-seated emotional attachment to the idea of absolute government control. The idea of American freedom and liberty is anathema to the fascist Geraldo Rivera. I think he would be fine being the, the, the spokesmouth for a dictator somewhere in North Korea, Afghanistan, Iran, whatever. No, no, I will prove to you out of his own mouth, his own words, that Geraldo is anti-freedom. Okay? So, Hannity introduces the segment last night by saying, you know, Geraldo, I think the issue of vaxxed and unvaxxed, that debate is over. Everybody's made up their mind. I don't think you're going to convince many people on that issue. You see now military, nurses, cops, firemen, first responders, they're willing to leave their jobs, abandon their salaries, benefits, and pensions because of what they believe in. The question to me is why, if we're going to follow the science and want to be safe, why is there no attempt at all to, to accommodate, especially nurses, that were diving on COVID grenades every day, those people that might have natural immunity, a rare medical condition, or a different point of view, why can't we accommodate them, keep the workplace safe, and give the option of being tested? Why have we given up all medical privacy, freedom, and doctor-patient confidentiality in this country, Geraldo? That's a high price. Okay, now, put aside for a moment the idea that the government, or your employer for that matter, has no right no right to require you to allow someone to shove a Q-tip so far up your nose that it makes your brain hurt. Put that aside. Let's see how Geraldo immediately changes the subject in an effort to dodge Sean's question, and it went something like this. You know, Sean, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Shailene Woolley, uh, one of my favorite couples. He's a terrific football player. What does that have to do with the question? You ignoramus. It's a great personality, MVP, uh, but he may have cost his team the Super Bowl last Sunday against Kansas City Chiefs. They lost, uh, the Green Bay Packers lost 13-7 to because he could not play because he was positive and had lied to his teammates, lied to the city of Green Bay, lied to uh, the people of this country about his, 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 uh, his, his status. And, and Sean, I think that just because he's popular, just because, and I don't want to join any. All right. So Sean was more patient than I would have been. But he finally interrupts and says, Geraldo, you're not answering my question. Are we giving up all medical privacy, all doctor-patient confidentiality, and all freedom 
whether you agree or disagree. I, I think that you cannot have a right of privacy that I'm in your room with my grandchildren who are not vaccinated because they're too young and you lied about your vaccine status and you sneeze on my grandchildren. You know, that that is that could be a crime that is absolutely so and self-involved. And, and it, you know, it, it goofed up there where he's trying to say selfish. But again, again, this guy, this guy. He's all about government control. Freedom is anathema to Geraldo Rivera. Or as the great philosophers Cheech and Chong used to call him back in the 70s, Horrendo Revolver. I look at Aaron Rodgers. Or as other people call him, Jerry Rivers. And he's so charming. And, and again, I say I'm a big fan of his. He's a very, very agreeable, charismatic person. And he married a great actress. And I wish them all, all right, the best. Let's go what to Dan. Did, though, get Dan's was point a of terrible view. And his, and, his, and his apology was a bunch of baloney. I regret that, oh, if you think this way and that way. You know, he didn't say right, I'm so sorry. So you're not going to accept his apology. Okay, fair enough. You don't have to. Dan Bongino. That wasn't an apology. Now, Brother Bongino, I think, um, is going to actually try to get to Sean's question. Unlike Geraldo, who is more like, squirrel! Geraldo doesn't want to answer the question. I mean, he will eventually, but anyway. The great American, Dan Bongino. He doesn't owe anybody an apology. Aaron Rodgers doesn't owe Geraldo or anyone else. Uh, Jack Squat. Aaron Rodgers was given his body by God. He is ward of his own body. Um, whether he chooses to disclose his immunization status or not isn't Geraldo or anyone else's business. And, and the other point here um, about you don't have a right to privacy if, if you sneeze around someone. Really? I mean, so we're throwing the Constitution out the window for a, a virus with the survivability rate? between 98 and 99%. I mean, I, I really, if that isn't the road to tyranny, I don't know what is. I mean, are you going to apply the same, uh, the same tactic to people who are infected with tuberculosis? I mean, what about HIV? You know, it's interesting. Are you going to ban them from sexual contact, from intravenous drug use? What about tuberculosis? Are they not going to be allowed to breathe in public? You know, you see how these simpleton views of, of how privacy in the Constitution, by the way, which is not a suggestion, the Constitution is not a suggestion. It's our founding document. You see how that all gets thrown out the window when we go down this slippery slope? And it's all based on nonsense. They'll, they'll throw out the 1905 Jacobson case, which was a, ca a case based on smallpox in Massachusetts and the equivalent of a $125 fine. It's nothing to do with coronavirus. All right, at this point, Geraldo realizes he's losing badly. Bongino is making way, way too much sense. I mean, after all, California passed a law decriminalizing people who have AIDS intentionally trying to infect other people by having sex with them. So Bongino is making too much sense. Geraldo realizes this. He's got to try to salvage the interview, and so he has to interrupt. It's nothing to do with coronavirus. There have been and you three losing your Supreme Court nonsense. cases. There have been three Supreme Court cases already that gave the government the right to mandate in Maine, in Indiana, and in New York. The Supreme Court will soon no, deal with this Fifth Circuit case and will even it all out. Mandates are constitutional. The mandate, you do not have not, the right no, to no, sneak. No, no.
Okay. So at this point, Sean has to try to reclaim control of his own show. So Handy says, Geraldo, you don't know that yet. Here's my question. There's got to be a way. If the premise of my question is right, that everybody's decided, people made a decision, especially when we're firing nurses who worked in a Petri dish for two years at the worst moments of this pandemic, many of whom got COVID and they believe in natural immunity. There's some disagreement on some of these issues. Where is the flexibility? Why is there a rigidness? You must get the vaccine or you're fired. How about vaccine or will you agree to be tested so people don't lose their salary, benefits, and their pension? Why is there only one size fits all medicine here? And Geraldo, oh boy, here he is. You know, Sean, in January, I lost a beloved nephew, Bobby Reed, to this disease. He left I've his lost wife friends Michelle, too. It's horrible. his children, Tyler and Casey, the lost lost to this awful disease that has already claimed 750,000 American can, lives. Can we meet in the middle worldwide. and find at an accommodation? One, at one point, no, or not. there is no accommodation. I, not I despise, let me be very frank, I despise, un, I despise vaccinated people who are smug in their protection, who urge unvaccinated people to exercise their freedoms. What if it's they like get tested the, every like day? Not even, street, even if they like, got tested like the guy, every day, it's, it's like that's the guy not good enough the, for you. It's like, the, it's like the guy in the street if who's they telling get tested the guy every on the day. ledge to jump. Okay, so... So at this point, you wonder if Geraldo's beloved nephew would have lived if he had been given ivermectin. Everybody else did. But Geraldo is a true believer. He can't allow himself to consider the possibility the government of Big Pharma might be lying to him. That's number one. Number two... We have not lost 750,000 people to COVID in this country. Even the CDC admitted only 6% of those people actually died from COVID, if that many. 94% of those people had at least two and a half other comorbidities on average. So you got somebody coming in who's got Alzheimer's, lung cancer, and diabetes. Well, the hospital gets a lot of money, I think $50,000 per patient, if they chalk it up to a COVID death. What do you think they're going to do? Geraldo doesn't care about any of that. Geraldo has a very tenuous grasp on the concept of logic and or linear reasoning. He knows what he gets paid to do. And that is to come on Fox News Channel and be the token liberal foil for people who know a lot more than him to dunk on. <laughs> so, so Bongino knows his role. Hey, it's time to dunk on Geraldo. <laughs> and that looks like fun to me. So, <coughs> at long last, Sean says, 
All right, last word, Bongino. And it went something like this. Yeah, you know, uh, it's interesting. Geraldo, you, you despises these people, yet he doesn't know them. Like, I spoke to a guy who was fired by a company I work for who has a serious problem with blood clots, whose doctor told him if he gets the vaccine. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let, let, let's hear the rest of it. Hang on, hang on. Whose doctor told him if he gets the vaccination, he could be in serious medical trouble. Geraldo doesn't have a medical degree, he doesn't know, but he despises the guy he hasn't even met. And he paints that as a reasonable, rational decision. Geraldo hasn't met these people he despises, yet he despises right, them. Here's the thing, I don't despise anyone. I respect your individuality and your ability to make your own decision with your doctor. You I don't have no individual you. rights when it comes to the vaccine. You have no all right. Well, Thank that's you what tyrants say all the time. You got that? Geraldo Chairman Mao Ver, uh, Rivera. Did you hear what he said? I isolated it for you. You Don't have no individual you. rights when it comes to the vaccine. Geraldo's not an American. He's a totalitarian. You have no individual rights when it comes to the vaccine. His beloved nephew, if he'd been given uh, ivermectin, I'm sure would still be here with us. Araldo can't bring himself to consider that. You have no individual rights when it comes to the vaccine. Simple as that. And it is very troubling that the United States Supreme Court has refused to hear Several lawsuits against vaccine mandates which came up to it. It's very troubling. See, because we elected Donald Trump president in 2016 because he said, look, I'm a conservative now, and I'm going to appoint conservative judges to the U.S. Supreme Court. Look, I got this list right here from the Federalist Society. Okay. And a handful of people said, well, just because a judge made the Federal Society list doesn't mean that that judge is actually constitutionalist, actually respects the founder's idea of freedom and liberty. But most of us were like, well, okay, the Federal Society, I mean, how are you getting better than that, you know? And lo and behold, two of the three have been stark disappointments. Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett have been crushing disappointments when it comes to the ideas of freedom and liberty, your bodily autonomy. What happened to the Fourth Amendment? Can someone tell me that? What happened to the Fourth Amendment. Just in case you were wondering, what was Bongino talking about? When he said, hey, so we're just going to throw out the, uh, the Constitution. Just in case you're wondering,
The Fourth Amendment to the United States Constitution says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrants that issue, pardon me, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. Your right to be secure in your own person against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. Shall not be. Geraldo Rivera doesn't care about that. Jerry Rivers, that's what uh, some folks say he was called before he decided to Espanol his name. Jerry Rivers doesn't care about the Constitution. He is a uh, he's a dupe. He's a useful idiot. You know, I, I, I remember back about thirteen years ago, a guy named Andy McCarthy wrote a book called Willful Blindness. Willful blindness. And it was about the idea that, um, I'm going to make an analogy here in a, in a minute, but it's about the idea that our leaders found it too painful to consider the possibility that Islamic jihadists might have some kind of religious motivation to want to do us in. Didn't matter if it was George W. Bush, Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice, or even Ron Paul. You could not bring yourself to consider the possibility that maybe guys like Osama bin Laden and al-Zawahiri and al-Zarqawi, the guys in ISIS, could possibly have some kind of religious motivation to want to do a sin, right? Couldn't, uh, the willful blindness. It was too painful to consider. All right, here's the analogy. The willful blindness of people like Geraldo Rivera. It's too painful to consider the possibility that maybe the government's lying to him. Maybe the healthcare establishment is lying to him. Maybe Big Pharma is lying to him. Maybe his beloved nephew would still be alive if he had had ivermectin. Nope. Geraldo is a party man. He is a true believer. He is not susceptible to linear reasoning. It is a matter of faith. Okay. It's almost impossible to argue with true believers. People like Geraldo are not susceptible to being reasoned with. They're just not. 
Bongino brings up the Constitution. Geraldo couldn't care less. Now, Dan's doing the right thing in bringing up the Constitution. Don't get me wrong. He's appealing to a very, very important document. But as many wise men have said, the Constitution is not uh, self-enforcing. If the courts don't recognize it, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't enforce itself. That's the problem. That's why a lot of people were concerned. Was Donald Trump going to put the right kind of judges on the courts? And when he promised, I'm going to choose judges from the uh, Federal Society list, and then actually kept his word, most of us were relieved. There were a few people going, wait, wait, wait. Amy Coney Barrett is a big uh, fan of the lockdowns. Wait, wait, wait. Brett Kavanaugh is a George W. Bush guy. He's not really a constitutionalist. There are a handful of people, and I wish I remembered who, because I'd like to give them credit, because they were right. Now, Gorsuch turned out to be pretty good in most cases. Most cases. But even he, even Neil Gorsuch was not willing to hear Texas lawsuit late last year against the swing states for violating the rights of voters in Texas by allowing the election to be stolen in the swing states. Okay? U.S. Constitution says if a state sues other states, one or more other states, then the first place that lawsuit is going to be heard is in the U.S. Supreme Court. Constitution does not give the U.S. Supreme Court an out on that. And yet seven U.S. Supreme Court justices said late last year, we don't care what the Constitution says, we're not going to hear this, this lawsuit of Texas against the swing states. Seven to two. Only Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito said, well, well, the Constitution says we have to hear it. The other seven are like, we don't care. Not going to do it. So the next time we have a Republican president, if we do, if we ever do again, we're going to have to vet the guy running a lot more closely than we did Trump. We're going to have to vet the judicial appointments, the judicial nominees a lot more closely than we did Trump's appointments. Okay? I'm just saying. So, springboarding on Bongino's masterful job on Hannity's show on Fox last night and Geraldo's not just letting the mask slip, but taking the mask completely off and revealing his totalitarian impulse. We got a guy who uh, goes by the pseudonym George Bailey over at WorldNet Daily. Has a new op-ed out called The Great COVID Vaccine Scam. 
in which he says that emboldened Americans have made the medical industrial complex nervous. And it goes something like this, a famous saying widely attributed to showman P.T. Barnum, the guy who started Barnum and Bailey Circus back in the 1800s, is there's a sucker born every minute. A century and a half later, it appears the only difference is now there are just a lot more suckers. For the past 19 months, the COVID-19 virus has ravaged the planet. People in America and around the world have lived in terror, wondering if they're going to live or die. As the COVID pictures become clearer, however, the question many people are beginning to ask is, how much of this crisis is real and how much is just one big fat lie? When the mysterious virus that causes COVID-19 materialized in Wuhan, China at the end of 2019, the Chinese Communist Party purposefully let it spread around the globe while restricting domestic travel to limit Pardon me, to limit the virus impact inside China. As the virus spread worldwide, the American media proclaimed COVID-19 was potentially going to kill every human alive and there were no treatments or cures. Fortunately, the drug companies came to the rescue and developed so-called miracle vaccines in record time to save the world from the dreaded COVID-19 scourge of death. Unfortunately, the vaccines don't work as promised, and fully vaccinated individuals started coming down with COVID-19, and numerous other variants began popping up. Fortunately, a third booster shot was developed to combat the variants, and everyone gave a huge sigh of relief. Unfortunately, the booster shots turned out to be just a third dose of the original vaccines that gave only temporary protection wore off after a number of months and didn't prevent COVID-19 variants, but just lessened symptoms. Fortunately, drug companies developed COVID-19 treatment pills that would help people to recover if they got sick after taking all the vaccines and the booster shots that really didn't work very well. Unfortunately, the company's treatment pills have proved to be only partially effective, meaning everyone must continue wearing masks in public to keep living in fear and to continue being vulnerable to dying from the virus. Plus now... Everyone would need yearly vaccine booster shots for the rest of their lives. The COVID-19 vaccine merry-go-round keeps spinning around and around and around, and the drug companies and their cohorts keep getting richer and richer and richer. So, the vaccine scam in a nutshell if the pharmaceutical companies had produced and distributed COVID-19 vaccines like flu shots, namely to the most vulnerable or to anyone else simply interested, there would have been no societal upheaval and the vaccine would have served its proper purpose. Further, if the numerous safe, effective early treatments either discovered or developed during 2020 had been made available and prescribed, such as hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, quercetin, ivermectin, budesonide, monoclonal antibodies, Regeneron, vitamin C, vitamin D3, and even ordinary aspirin, there would have been no societal upheaval either, and the pandemic would have been quickly over 
as early treatments were administered by doctors and natural immunity spread. So what took place beneath all the altruism and the virtue signaling that allowed drug firms, politicians, bureaucrats, multinational corporations, and media organizations making up the medical industrial complex to turn society upside down and transform the COVID-19 pandemic into a massive for-profit criminal drug and civilization transforming scheme unique in recorded history? All right, here's what really happened. The drug company saw the opportunity to make billions with a B by distributing a COVID-19 vaccine to every person on earth, whether they needed it or not. A deal was struck with U.S. government officials to develop COVID-19 vaccines, ASAP, under an FDA emergency use authorization, which protected the companies from liability against any claims for injury or death resulting from the vaccines. Drug companies, government officials, and media purposefully spread misinformation and fear about COVID-19's lethality by inflating death statistics to increase vaccine demand. Since experimental vaccines can only be distributed under emergency use authorization, as long as no effective treatments are available, the credibility of any effective early COVID-19 treatments were quickly destroyed by branding them as dangerous and unproven, and the public was prevented from receiving these effective treatments even though the conspirators knew hundreds of thousands or even millions would die as a result. See, I disagree with that number because, again, the CDC has said 94% of the people that they claim died from COVID actually just died with it. Only 6% actually died from the COVID with no other comorbidities. Anyway, the article continues. Any individuals, doctors, or groups promoting or using effective early treatments were bullied and demonized, and doctors who prescribed them were threatened with termination and the loss of their medical licenses or simply terminated. Natural immunity to COVID-19 was discredited and downplayed by spreading the lie that vaccine immunity was superior to natural immunity, even though Pfizer scientists themselves admitted the opposite. Vaccine-related injuries and deaths were covered up as much as possible since they're bad for business. Lies continue to be spread regarding early treatment effectiveness, mask and vaccine ineffectiveness, and... Lethal vaccine side effects, including more than 17,000 deaths to date. Yeah, they don't, want, they don't want you to know about that. No, 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 no. I know a few weeks ago, the chief epidemiologist of the Arkansas State Health Department went on the morning show at the radio station I used to work at, and she was asked, so how many people have died from the vaccine? She said, none, zero, none. That's a lie. And it's scary. Either she knows it's a lie or she's so ignorant she shouldn't be anywhere near a health department. But what are you going to do? Back to the article. Since masks and vaccine mandates instill panic and keep citizens subservient, strict enforcement 
of all COVID-19 mandates fan the public fear, the public's fear of dying and keep vaccine sales high indefinitely. So there you have it, the great COVID vaccine scam. But it's not just about money. It's about control, government tyranny, and world domination. Well, enough is enough. Fortunately, brave Americans are getting wise to the COVID-19 scam and saying enough is enough. Patriot parents faced with a mandatory vaccination of their children as young as five years old are saying enough is enough. Brave workers, including pilots, teachers, police, and firemen, faced with mandatory vaccinations or pink slips, are saying enough is enough. And there's a new pandemic spreading across America. We call it the freedom flu. Crippling woke cities and businesses as patriots push back, stage sickouts against vaccine mandates and proclaim enough is enough. Fortunately, too, Americans are learning just how diabolical the withholding of early treatment has been and are finding ways around the scam through the use of highly effective drugs like ivermectin. In the largely unvaccinated province of Uttar Pradesh in India, with a population of 240 million, COVID-19 has been defeated through the simple use of ivermectin administered early and liberally by the government. For five months, Uttar Pradesh has had very few COVID-19 cases and virtually no deaths. A state of 240 million. And nobody's dying from COVID anymore because they're handing out ivermectin like candy. Oh, don't that don't tell that to our social media, big tech wizards. Facebook, Twitter. Oh no, 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 no. Misinformation. People should go to jail. Anyway. The article continues. Fortunately, grieving families of loved ones lost to COVID when refused. Early treatments are fighting back and filing wrongful death lawsuits against the conspirators. Soon the medical industrial complex kingpins and their cronies responsible for these deaths will be prosecuted and brought to justice, some even under racketeering laws like mafia bosses. Unfortunately, the great COVID-19 vaccine scam is still alive and kicking at the medical industrial complex and the Vax Nazis are showing that they won't go down without a fight. Fortunately, the scam is crumbling as Americans learn, like those in Uttar Pradesh, India, that surefire treatment, not hit-and-miss vaccines, is the best line of early defense. The number of brave doctors is growing, too. Those who are willing to stand up to the medical-industrial complex to honor their Hippocratic oaths and to provide treatment to patients regardless of the personal cost and the conspirators are starting to get nervous, really nervous. Soon, the great COVID vaccine scam will be thrown on the ash heap of history, along with the masterminds and the co-conspirators as justice is meted out. Citizens will go on with their lives and hopefully be a lot wiser when the next scam comes knocking on their doors. Well, hope springs eternal. You hope so. P.T. Barnum may have been right that there's a sucker born every minute, but thank God it doesn't have to be you. That's beautiful. That's a guy who goes by the name, uh, the pseudonym of George Bailey. I know it can't be his real name because he's got a little picture of Jimmy Stewart from It's a Wonderful Life. And the article at World Net Daily is entitled The Great COVID Vaccine Scam. 
speaking of health care, speaking of health care, we've been talking about it a lot for years because when Obama came into office, he decided that he was going to make it very, very expensive for people like you and me. Right? And, you know, there are any number of theories on why he wanted to do that. A lot of people believe in population control, and they don't want people to be able to afford health care. They think 8 billion people in this country, in this world is way too much, and we'd be better off about 400 million, and they don't care how we get there and how fast we get there. All right? So Obama comes into office, and uh, with the help of uh, Nancy Pelosi, who said, you have to pass it to see what's in it. <laughs> Gets this uh, so-called Affordable Care Act passed through Congress, signed into law, calls it Obamacare. Now, it was called Affordable Care Act. Did you notice it made your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co-pays keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you really need to get a hold of my friend Art Wilborn. His website is called myfamilyhealthplan.com. And Art has been a long, long-time fan of the Doc Washburn show for, for many years. For many years, he listened to my program and on the radio. And we've gotten to know him recently. And I got to tell you, myfamilyhealthplan.com actually has affordable health insurance plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums. You get personalized health coverage. Low to no deductible and no copays. Did you know that was even possible these days? Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't have any idea that's possible, but it is. And a really great thing with Art Wilborn and MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you get an insurance plan that doesn't force you to cover things that would offend your deeply held religious beliefs. You know, you're not, uh, you don't have, um, like, abortion coverage forced on you. Stuff like that. The website is myfamilyhealthplan.com. You go to the website, you book a free consultation, and Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance. Again, 30 to 50% off on, uh, off on your premiums. Personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, and no co-pays, right? Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. All right, now, that having been said, we're keeping an eye on the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. We do uh, realize that a little bit ago, 
the judge admonished the prosecution for the way they were treating young Mr. Rittenhouse. And so we're keeping an eye on that one. Um, Every day, every day has been really, really bad for the prosecution. Every day has been very bad for the prosecution. The, the, the other day, see, because Kyle Rittenhouse was a situation where he's trying to help people in the middle of a riot. The riot happening in Kenosha, Wisconsin, August 20th of last year, because police had shot a guy named Jacob Blake who was trying to take off in a car with kids that weren't his. But before he did, lunging for a knife to lunge at the police, and they shot him. So there were riots. And Kyle Rittenhouse is walking around asking if anybody needs a medic. He was part of a team of people trying to keep the peace, and three different people tried to kill him. And so the video is clear he shot in self-defense. Prosecution doesn't care. They want him uh, going to prison for the rest of his life for not being willing to let people murder him. So, Rittenhouse is on the stand today, and we'll, we'll let you know what happens on that. But it's... Uh, it's outrageous to me that he was ever prosecuted in the first place. Outrageous he was ever prosecuted in the first place. I mean, when the one of the three guys that he shot admitted, this Gage Grosskreutz admitted under oath that Kyle didn't shoot him until he pointed his gun at him. Uh, that should have done it. That should have done it right there. See what Ed Morrissey is saying over at Hot Air. He's got an article here entitled, Did Rittenhouse Prosecutors Try to Manufacture Testimony? Oh. It says, is this standard operating procedure among prosecutors, or is this as bad as it looks? When the clip from the testimony of Nathan DeBruin and the Kyle Rittenhouse trial got published on Twitter, I asked that question in earnest. The answer remains unclear, but it certainly looks as though DeBruin is describing an attempt by prosecutors to pressure DeBruin into amending his police statement to favor their case. Suborn perjury isn't quite accurate, but this seems to go beyond mere witness coaching, too. And this is... We, we talked about this briefly yesterday. And Marcy says, not being an attorney myself, perhaps this episode is more nuanced than it seems. However, one can imagine that the jury has little or no insight into prosecutions either. Does anyone wonder what they make of this exchange? Andrew Branca, an attorney covering the trial for legal insurrection, calls De Bruin perhaps the most powerful defense witness yesterday. He says, 
I say that De Bruyne seemed an unlikely candidate to be the defense's most powerful witness of the day because he presented and conceded that he was extremely anxious and he also suffers from a rather prominent speech impediment. Despite this, De Bruyne was absolutely coherent and firm in his testimony, almost driving Assistant District Attorney Krauss into a rage with his calm and cool testimony that was so helpful to the defense and so damaging to the prosecution. Indeed, at times, Assistant DA Krauss's cross-examination of De Bruyne became completely unprofessional and almost personally bullying. Perhaps nothing was as damaging to the prosecution and as personally infuriating to Assistant DA Krauss as De Bruyne's testimony that in a meeting with Krauss and the other Assistant DA Binger, he had the perception they were asking him to change his statement to police about what he had observed the night of August 25th, 2020. So the word change should be read to mean falsify, in particular to falsify some conduct, some conduct or presence of a guy named Joshua Zeminski. Indeed, immediately after that meeting with prosecutors in which De Bruyne refused to change a word of his prior statement, he immediately left and retained his own legal counsel, and that counsel was present in the courtroom during De Bruyne's testimony yesterday. Now, Attorney Branca clearly is no fan of the prosecution and their decision to charge Rittenhouse anyway. However, this point seems especially pertinent as to the motives of prosecutors in bringing these charges. Whether they just got overzealous or pushing a political agenda, it doesn't look good for them that a witness felt compelled to hire an attorney to protect himself from prosecutors. The case continues today, perhaps to the surprise of some, after the prosecution basically stumbled into establishing a case for self-defense through their own witnesses, at the very least a truckload of reasonable doubt on that score, the prospects for a directive verdict seem pretty decent. Attorney Branca explains why this was an unreasonable expectation when he said, Many people have wondered if the defense would make a motion for a directed verdict. This is a motion arguing to the judge that no reasonable jury could convict based on the state's case is chief and asking the judge to take the matter out of the hands of the jury and render a verdict himself. Motions for a directed verdict are made as a matter of routine in almost every criminal case I've ever been involved in, and they're just as routinely denied. The best path to a directed verdict is where the prosecution has simply produced zero evidence on some element of the underlying crime, or in the context of this case, zero evidence attacking some element of the defense. Once virtually any evidence has been presented, however, most judges are loath to take from the jury their role in being the weigher of evidence, the finders of fact, and barely more than zero evidence is therefore enough to deny a motion for a directed verdict. Okay, Ed Morrissey, Hot Air says juries are unpredictable too, even for those observing a trial in some detail. The dynamics of juries are somewhat inscrutable. It seems almost unthinkable that they will look at the prosecution's case and have all reasonable doubt removed as to Rittenhouse's guilt, but you never know. 
A directed verdict would have been safer, clearly, but Attorney Branca's perspective makes sense. This will likely come down to closing arguments and jury instructions where a judge can exert a lot of influence on the shape of the debate in the jury room. What it won't come down to is Rittenhouse's testimony, not unless his attorneys are insane. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be an update on that. You see, this was yesterday afternoon before, before Ed Morrissey at Hot Air realized that they were going to put Rittenhouse on the stand. So... So he quotes from the San Francisco Chronicle. Rittenhouse's attorney, attorney Mark Richards told the jury during opening statements last week that they would hear from Rittenhouse himself about how protesters were carrying rocks. But the witnesses that prosecutors have called to the stand since then have frequently made Rittenhouse's case for him, testifying that the men he shot were the aggressors and the Rittenhouse told people in the immediate aftermath he had no choice but to pull the trigger. Putting Rittenhouse on the stand now could risk hurting more than helping his case, according to legal experts. Loyola Marymount's university law professor, Lori Levinson, said, The state's witnesses enabled the defense to tell their story of self-defense more through cross-examination, and that may be enough to get the reasonable doubt or self-defense verdict. I think that many lawyers would say that Rittenhouse could cause more problems for himself than advantages by taking the stand at this point. Ed Morrissey says, I think they planned to have the jury hear from Rittenhouse through the testimony of witnesses, not from putting a teenager on the stand in his own, self, in his own defense. He says, both sides have gotten testimony from witnesses about Rittenhouse's exclamations and utterances at the time of the shooting most of which has backfired already on the prosecution. Another attorney puts that explicitly, speaking to the Associated Press, Phil Turner, former federal prosecutor turned defense attorney in Chicago, said if Rittenhouse was his client, he would not put him on the stand. Quote, there's a possibility he testifies, but I think it's not great that he will. He doesn't need to. I think his defense is already there. With all the people who were shot or threatened or whatever, they, that they were the aggressors, Rittenhouse can't add anything to it, and the only thing he can do is hurt himself somehow. The prosecution has a burden of proof, and in this case, from the sounds of it, they, don't, they haven't even come close, unquote. So Ed Marcy says, indeed, keep up with the events by following our town hall colleague, Julio Rosas, on Twitter, and don't forget, you know, he, he goes into stuff about the, the hot air dot com program and everything and then today today update whoo boy and he links to julio rosas on twitter saying marshall testifies Grosskreutz did not say he regretted not killing rittenhouse defense says you're not sticking up for him you're posting what he said marshall said i lied those words never came out of his mouth 100 percent made up the defense then called rittenhouse to the stand but the judge said they need to take a five-minute break. So Ed Marcy says they're putting a teenager on the stand in his own defense in a case they clearly seem to be winning already. That is an interesting choice. They're setting him up to be a punching bag for a prosecution that's already demonstrated a lack of scruples in pursuing this case. 
Either his attorneys are insane or Rittenhouse demanded a chance to tell his story. Well. Well. This is, uh, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. So I, I, I want to... I want to play for you if I can, because Julio Rosas over there at townhall.com is doing a great job, doing a great job of giving a, a play-by-play on the Kyle Rittenhouse murder trial. So if I can, I, I want to... He's got the video here, about a minute and a half, of the judge in the Rittenhouse trial is not happy with the prosecution. And so I want to I want to do that. But first, I gotta I gotta take a drink of water or something here. So hang on just a second. This will this will be quick and painless. All right. Here we go. It's the all-new Doc Washburn Show, unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. What's up, Doc? Can we rock? Well, we're, we're, we're trying to commence to begin to start rocking, sir. Right. The Doc Washburn Show streams live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central weekdays on the Podbean app, which you can download onto your smartphone. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and it's available for download at Spotify, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All right, very good. Very good. Now, Kyle Rittenhouse never should have been prosecuted. These prosecutors are evil, in my humble opinion, and you're entitled to it. And so I think I owe it to you. This is ABC News feed. Townhall.com has it. I think I owe it to you. I need to share with you the judge remonstrating the prosecution because it's a beautiful thing, and it went like this. Welcome this trial on this matter. He knows he can't go into this, and he's asking the questions. I asked the court to strongly admonish him, and the next time it happens, I'll be asking for a mistrial with prejudice. Okay, so this is Kyle's defense asking the judge, to uh, to come down with prosecution. He's an experienced attorney, and he knows better. Mr. Finger? First of all, Your Honor, this was the subject of a motion. I'm well aware of that, and the court left the door open. Okay, this is the uh, prosecutor trying to defend himself before the judge smacks him down. This- for me, not for you. My understanding of you your- should have come and asked for uh, for reconsideration. You did on the one motion, and in fact, I granted your motion for reconsideration. That was excuse not me, our motion. I, I, I um, no, it's not, uh, excuse me. I uh, I did. I granted. We did not move that for reconsideration. That was their motion. I, I, we have not filed any me. motions to reconsider in this case. That was their motion for reconsideration, which I denied. But uh, I said I denied it 
or I indicated a bias towards denial is what I did. Held it open with a bias towards denial. Why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I, I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. So he's slamming the prosecution for commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. I mean, how far back do you want to go? He's talking about the last 40 or 50 years, uh, Miranda rights. That was decided in the 60s. You have the right to remain silent, right? Right? But wait. There's more. Prosecutor trying to defend himself again. This is not going to go well for the prosecution. That the defendant was using this exact same weapon. He was using it in a manner to try and protect the property. No, he wasn't. There's, Your Honor, I, with all due respect. I'm not going to rehash the motion. Yeah, that's absolutely untrue. It and is, there's, no, no, no. Your arguments of record, my comments are of record, and why I ruled as I did is of record. There's nothing that I heard in this trial to suggest anything has changed, even if you're correct in your assumption that you know more than uh, I did at the time. Uh, you should have come to the court and say, I want to go into this. Uh, why you would think that you could go into it without any advance notice to the court, I don't understand that. And as the uh, defense is pointing out, you're an experienced trial lawyer, and this should not have been gone into. Your Honor, there have been things in this case, testimony in this case, that I believe opens the door to this. For example, the defense has introduced evidence that the defendant pointed a gun at a man wearing yellow pants because that person was on a car, on the car source lot. Now, there's no justification that I can think of why the defendant would point that gun at someone. Now, we see the defense attorney shaking his head no, like you're lying. And I think the defense attorney is getting ready to jump up. The defendant has just testified this morning that he agreed with that person in the yellow pants that he pointed the gun at him. He said, I was joking when I said that to the guy in the yellow pants, but he said, he's acknowledged that he told the person in the yellow pants, yeah, you're right. I did point a gun at you. Defense attorney is shaking his head vigorously no the whole time. When you were sitting on a car. He said, I did. That's what he Exactly. So he's agreeing. May I finish, please? I'd like to have a chance to make a record if I could without being interrupted, if that's okay. He has mentioned that he has he's acknowledged that he's used this gun to protect property. He's also just acknowledged that he knows he can't do that. I am attempting to impeach him now with the prior August 10th incident, 15 days prior, involving the same gun where he is threatening to use that gun to protect property. It he goes. The gun with it. Your Honor, he is saying he wished he did so he could shoot people. You know, there's a lot of difference between commenting about something when you haven't got a gun and threatening someone when you do. You know, yeah, there is. It's just remarkable. It's just remarkable what's going on. And uh, in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and, and, and Julio Rosas, 
with the play-by-play. And I think this is really instructive. Because um, Gage Grosskreutz is the guy, the one out of the three that Kyle Rittenhouse shot that, uh, that lived. And uh, Jacob Marshall was Gail Gage Grosskreutz's uh, roommate. Went to see him in the hospital. And he posted on Facebook after he saw him in the hospital. He said, so the kid shot Gage as he drew his weapon and Gage retreated with his gun in hand. I just talked to Gage Grosskreutz too. His only regret was not killing the kid and hesitating to pull the gun before entering the entire mag into him. Coward. So... This guy was called to testify because Gage Grosskreutz told Kyle Rittenhouse's defense he didn't have any regrets for the night he was shot. So today, the defense now questions the roommate, Marshall. Marshall testifies Grosskreutz did not say he regretted not killing Rittenhouse. Defense says, you're not sticking up for him? You're posting what he said? Marshall says, I lied. Those words never came out of his mouth, 100% made up. The defense called Rittenhouse to the stand, but the judge said they needed a five-minute break. Rittenhouse says he helped clean graffiti off of buildings after the first set of riots in Kenosha for about an hour and a half. Rittenhouse says that Rosenbaum threatened to kill him twice before the shooting. During the first time, Rosenbaum was armed with a chain. Rittenhouse said he got a call to go to the car lot where the shooting ended up happening because people were setting fires and breaking into cars. He asked for a fire extinguisher and someone at the gas station to go with him, but they didn't go with him. Rittenhouse said Rosenbaum ambushed him when he got to the car lot, but now he's having a hard time explaining what happened because Rittenhouse broke down crying on the stand. The judge called for a break. I saw a little bit of that too right before I went on the air, and it was heartbreaking. Because I've been 17, I've been 18, and so have all my kids. And it's just heartbreaking seeing this young man on the stand. Rittenhouse said at first he thought Rosenbaum threw the chain he had earlier at him because it looked silver from the light reflection. He knows it was a bag now. Rittenhouse says Rosenbaum kept running toward him and lunged when Rittenhouse turned and pointed his AR-15. Rittenhouse said he had to shoot Rosenbaum to defend himself because Rosenbaum was grabbing the AR-15 and couldn't run away anymore because cars blocked his path. Rittenhouse said he started to run toward the police because he says he didn't do anything wrong and was no longer safe by the car lot. Rittenhouse says when Huber hit him with a skateboard after falling down, he felt the AR-15 being pulled away from him, so he shot Huber. Rittenhouse says he lowered the AR-15 when he saw Grosskreutz put his hands in the air. He only shot Grosskreutz when he advanced toward him with a handgun pointed at his head. Rittenhouse says it's not true when Grosskreutz said Rittenhouse manually racked the rifle. Video, of course, does not support Grosskreutz's claim, and as Rittenhouse explained, 
Police would have found a live round at the scene since racking the charging handle will expel a live round to chamber a new one. Then Assistant DA Binger, the prosecution, started cross-examining Rittenhouse. Binger said, everyone you shot, you intended to kill. Rittenhouse said, I used deadly force to stop the people who were attacking me. Binger said, you've played video games like Call of Duty where you shoot people. Rittenhouse says, it's a video game. It's not real live. Binger said, that's your old TikTok account with the username Four Doors More Whores. Rittenhouse said, correct. Then Judge Schroeder ripped into Assistant DA Binger because he started to ask a question that was previously ruled that he couldn't ask about during the trial. Wow, this is the maddest I've ever seen the judge. Defense said if it happens again, they will motion for a mistrial with prejudice. So we played you the audio from that a little bit ago. We played you the audio from that a little bit ago. I mean, it's outrageous. What is going on in the courtroom, it's outrageous. But thank God you got a good a good judge. Okay? Thank God you got a good judge. Now, we've got another gentleman covering this. Oh, for the Fox News Multimedia Reporters Training Program, whatever that is, a guy named uh, Giovanni Liegi. And he says, some of the jurors listening to the Rittenhouse testimony during the cross-examination seem to be incredibly attentive. Others keep looking away and seem disconnected. Just a few of them are taking notes. Defense attorney Mark Richards is threatening to call for mistrial based on assistant district attorney Thomas Binger's line of questioning in the Rittenhouse trial. The judge is in currently incredibly upset with Binger. All jurors have stopped taking notes. Some of them look visibly tired, appear to be bothered. Uh, breaking for lunch a few minutes ago. So, again, the prosecution in the Rittenhouse trial looks to be irredeemably corrupt, irredeemably corrupt. And it's outrageous what they're trying to do, this young man. Absolutely outrageous. So I'm trying to keep you up with what's what's going on here. And we're talking about the, the masks and the vaccines and stuff earlier. Young man named Tim Swain, who is running for the Republican nomination for United States Senate in South Carolina, actual conservative against the rhino Tim Scott. And he's out there on Twitter this morning saying there are hundreds, if not thousands, of pictures and videos of those who push masks the hardest, not wearing them and enjoying life as normal when they thought the cameras were off. How on earth could anyone still believe masks work for anything other than to show you are willing to comply? Right? UK Daily Mail reporting Jeff Bezos, the guy that owns uh, Amazon, the Washington Post, right? New $78 million Hawaii estate that spans 14 acres. Maybe he's not really all that worried about the carbon 
footprint and the uh, so-called rising sea levels? Maybe not. Oh, did you hear fake news pioneer Brian Williams is announcing that he's retiring? Did you hear about that? Fake news pioneer Brian Williams to quit NBC News after 28 years. So he had somebody named Makita Rivas on March of last year. And this was remarkable. This was remarkable. Just to show how you don't have to have you don't have to have any intelligence whatsoever to read from a teleprompter and be on television. Here we go. David, um, actually, with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. It, when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads, U.S. population $327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's true that um, actually with the money he spent. Wait. It can't possibly be true. It can't possibly be true. Okay. So they're saying that Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads. The U.S. population is $327 million. She says he could have given each American $1 million and still have money left over. No. He could have given each American maybe about a buck 30. She says, I feel like a $1 million check would be life-changing for most people, yet he wasted it all on ads and still lost. Uh, and, and Brian Williams is agreeing with her. No, no. Brian Williams is agreeing with her. Now, let me tell you, how much money that would be if he ever if he actually gave each of the 327 million Americans a million dollars i got the calculator out that would have amounted to let's see million $327 trillion. $327 trillion, not $500 million. But this Makita Rivas person that he had on, he's just going along with it, yeah. Yeah, so Bloomberg spent... 500 million on ads, the U.S. population is 327 million. He could have given each American a million and still have money left over. Yeah, 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 sure. How can you be that stupid? 
Huh? Oh, okay. Oh, no, I, I got you. You don't have to have any intelligence to be able to read a teleprompter. So Brian Williams, the reason he lost his job hosting NBC Nightly News and was kicked over to doing late night on MSNBC was because bald-faced lies that he was caught in somehow. And it went something like this. Time Network TV anchor. I want to apologize. I said I was traveling in an aircraft that was hit by RPG fire. I was instead in a following aircraft. We're going along for the ride. The incident in question came in 2003 when NBC's Brian Williams flew in with U.S. troops as they invaded Iraq. Listen carefully to what he said then. We learned the Chinook ahead of us was almost blown out of the sky. That hole was made by a rocket-propelled grenade, or RPG. Indeed, careful to underline, that's not the Chinook he was in. But what happens in retelling the tale over the years, that detail changed. So here he is on with Letterman, right? Here he is on with Letterman in 2013. Here's that detail changed. Uh, two of our four helicopters were hit by ground fire, including the one I was in. No kidding. Uh, RPG and, and AK-47. With rounds coming into the airframe. But I Did you I think also, you would die? Uh, this is when he was on with uh, Alec Baldwin. Uh, br briefly, sure. Right up to last week. After their Chinook helicopter was hit and crippled by enemy fire. When first at an NHL game in New York and then on his own newscast, the new version stood. When the helicopter we were traveling in was forced down after being hit by an RPG. Suddenly, soldiers who say they were there fired back. Said one on Facebook, such a liar. He was on my aircraft and we were not shot down. Said another, sorry dude, I don't remember you being on my aircraft. I do remember you walking up about an hour after we had landed to ask me what had happened. Twitter, quickly filled with mockery and contempt, calls for his firing amid fury for an untruth that seemed aimed at making Williams himself look good. And yet today, uh, no, the pilot in Williams' aircraft in 03 to the rescue, kind of. He was there at the time of the, uh, the attack. Rich Krell telling CNN, indeed, their aircraft was not hit by the RPG, but it did take small arms fire. Yeah, whatever. He lied. But that's okay. That's okay. You can still be on MSNBC. Lied through his teeth. Not a problem. Not a problem. You can still be on MSNBC. As long as you want to. That's just amazing, isn't it? But that is the state of liberal media today. That is indeed the state of liberal media today. Oh, by the way, as the uh, lawsuits pile up, the Travis Scott concert were Eight were killed, apparently crushed to death. I don't know how many people were injured over the weekend. It uh, comes out that Houston's police chief is now saying that he did meet briefly with the rap star Travis Scott to voice his public safety concerns before the rapper took the stage for a weekend performance. It ended with eight people killed and dozens more injured in a stampede. Really? 
Really? How about that? How about that? And have you seen any of the video that came out of him just continuing as he's seeing a kid being hauled out who may have been dead just on with the show? On with the show. I don't think we had talked about that yet, so I, I thought I thought that we should. So <clears throat> there's a guy I follow over on Twitter. He he writes for Breitbart News. His name is John Hayward, and uh, he has uh, really incisive insights. It's great analysis, and I, I need to share some of this with you. He's saying this morning, we're entering the dangerous kamikaze phase of the Democrats' all-out war on the middle class. As with Obamacare, leadership will be telling imperiled Democrats in Congress that their seats are a small price to pay for inflicting irreversible changes on the American people. There's no one on earth as rapacious, greedy, and materialistic as a socialist politician. Democrats understand that grabbing our money ends a political battle. Once the spending bills are passed, budget baselines rise, and government employees are hired, there's no going back in their view. The lesson of Obamacare will be repeated to doomed congressional Democrats as they tie on their kamikaze headbands. Sure, we got clobbered in a few elections, but we seized, con seized control of a huge chunk of the U.S. economy forever. We permanently changed the relationship between citizens and the state forever. And what's so bad about losing your seat in Congress, fellow Democrat? Really? The party will take care of you. Democrats have vast sums of money from donors and taxpayers to lavish on loyal foot soldiers who fall in political battle. Cozy gigs in bureaucracy, academia, and media await election losers. Remember, there is an important idea here. It's called the sunk costs Fallacy. It's a logical error for economists, but it's a core principle of status growth for the left. Their battle cry is throwing good money after bad. Now, let me explain that to you. The fallacy of sunk costs is a key principle of status growth. The left is constantly grabbing piles of money, blowing it on useless or counterproductive programs, and then insisting we can never abandon these so-called investments they made on our behalf, so we must keep on spending. Every dollar that status can seize from free people becomes a flag planted on the next hill they plan to conquer. They insist we must be progressive. We can never go back because that would be an unconscionable waste of all the money we've, they've already spent for us. Economists call this a fallacy, an irrational and destructive tendency to keep pouring money into failed endeavors because we fear to waste or lose what they've already spent for us. In status politics, though, it's not a fallacy. It's a key tactic. 
Indeed, a core principle, a feature, not a bug. Status makes sure to hire as many government workers as they can with the money they grab so when critics call for spending reductions or seek to abolish wasteful programs, the status can howl about all the government jobs that we lost. Thrift is denounced as cruelty. Of course, progressives invariably define progress as the growth of the state. Nothing that makes the state smaller or the people richer and freer can ever be progressive. Any attempt to escape from the fallacy of sunk costs becomes regressive or turning back the clock. Now, this dovetails with the left's wanton destruction of cost-benefit analysis. They seek to render the public incapable of asking whether the benefits of any government action are worth the cost, especially marginal benefits achieved at a staggering expense. That's how the left keeps planting their sunk costs flag of conquest deep into the territories of freedom. You're not supposed to ask if the cost of their plans is worth the purported benefits or question their always wrong estimates of the costs and benefits. Any benefit from the growth of the state is worth any cost in the left's eyes. If it saved just one life, we must. That's their characteristic mantra. They insist that even questioning the cost of a noble left-wing goal is evil. It's evil even to question it. It's one of the reasons they hate capitalism so much. Of course, they never tell the public their plans are irrevocable no matter how badly they fail. They never explain that you'll never be allowed to vote against their schemes again, never be permitted to reevaluate or change your mind, never allowed to regain your freedom. As soon as even the most crackpot left-wing program gets off the ground, even if it's immediately exposed as foolish, corrupt, counterproductive, it's permanent. The costs are sunk. The flag is planted. If you try to shut it down, you must hate whoever purportedly benefits. In so many ways, status politics are the twisted mirror image of actual economics. The core principles of politics are the acknowledged fallacies of economics. Politics is a promise to transcend logic, common sense, and basic economics through state force and collective will. All right? So John Hayward at Breitbart says, every billion that the Democrats grab from productive America will be sunk into money pits that can only get deeper. You'll be told we can never let what they spend today go to waste, no matter how much of an obvious disaster it is. We must spend more forever until it starts working. A big part of how sunk cost growth works is the Democrats spend most of the money they suck out of the private sector on hiring people, and those people are nearly impossible to fire. Bureaucracy, bureaucracy grows inexorably larger. The ranks of the army of the debt swell. So, Democrats losing a few seats for an election or two? That's a very reasonable price to pay for grabbing the money and power needed to put more inches on the, on the Leviathan state's flabby waistline. Temporary political setbacks or permanent changes to American life. Who wouldn't take that deal? Remember, 
The only parts of Obamacare written in ink were the parts that made it impossible to to repeal or defund. Under sunk costs growth, the sinking is the really important bit. Losing a few seats today is acceptable because America will have less to vote on tomorrow. That's the bottom line. Less to vote on, less to discuss, more of our lives shifted into the untouchable authoritarian core that will power the great reset model of limited democracy. You're allowed to vote on less and even talk about less than you were 10 years ago. Once the big spending bill passes, there's nothing more to say. The decision is made forever. The money instantly vanishes and can never be recovered. No refunds, no second chances, no repeals. It's cute that you think you can punish the big spenders in this next election. Many Democrats will march into 2022 knowing they're going to lose their seats in Congress. They'll grab what they can on the way out the door. Angry voters will change Congress for a few years, but the Democrat Party will change the voters forever. You'll never be free of the debt they inflict on you. So, what do you think about those apples? Uh, That tells me one thing. That tells me one thing. That the old standard go-along-to-get-along Republican politicians should be a thing of the past. Should be a thing of the past. We can't afford any more bushes. We can't afford any more people like, uh, the say, for instance, the governor of the state, I used to do local... Uh, talk show in Arkansas, Aza Hutchinson. We can't afford any more Mitt Romneys. Fixing this country and fixing this government and fixing this economy is going to take radicals. We're almost $30 trillion in debt. At some point, the house of cards is going to fall. I don't know if you're a student of history, but hyperinflation is not fun. And we got inflation right now that's at a 30-year high. It's a feature, not a bug. The people pulling Biden's strings, they like it this way. This is how they want it to be. Okay, got it? So... It's not going to be enough, okay, for my listeners in uh, blue states or blue districts. And we have a lot of listeners in California and New York these days, Illinois also. It's not going to be enough to vote out Democrats in Congress. You have to make sure you... Replace them with people who actually want to change things. Right? Because our tendency 
is to vote out Democrats and put in just Republicans who think they're there to be placeholders. You know? That's uh, that's not going to work. That's absolutely not going to work. We're going to need somebody at least as radical as Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. By the way, did you hear the latest with Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida? BizPack Review has this. DeSantis will end contracts to stop flights, puts everything on the table to stop feds from shipping in migrants. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, thinking outside the box, floated some hard-hitting ideas to fight the mass dumping of illegal immigrants within the Sunshine State by the Biden administration. While speaking as a guest on Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson tonight, Monday evening, the governor justifiably complained about flights the administration has been executing and referred in particular to the disturbing case of Yeri Noel Medina Uloa. Uloa was arrested in Jacksonville, Florida in October. He was charged with murdering Francisco Javier Cuellar, a father of four, after posing as a minor and being led into the country. DeSantis pinned much of the blame on Biden. He said, if Biden had not been doing that, if he'd been doing his job, that individual would be alive today. The murder of Mr. Cuellar had sparked the ire of the governor's office, which has commented extensively on the case, calling the slaying horrific. 23-year-old Uloa had gotten into the nation by falsely claiming to be an unaccompanied minor. Governor DeSantis' office also claimed that the flights dumping illegal immigrants are quite numerous, more than 70 since the end of summer. DeSantis told Tucker Carlson the drops typically operate at 1 or 2 or 3 in the morning in order to be as inconspicuous as possible. Governor DeSantis also said the missions are completely unannounced and with no notice, he has no ability to veto or block the flights. While most of the governor's ire was focused on the late-night runs, DeSantis told Tucker Carlson it wasn't the only tool the Biden administration uses to ensure that illegals are dropped off throughout the Sunshine State. He said the feds, of course, control the airspace, and they're there on the ground, They take these folks and then they send them to other parts of Florida by bus or other parts of the southeast. DeSantis said he intends to take the battle to the middlemen hired by the Biden administration, private contractors who conduct the drops. DeSantis revealed his plan to target the contractors to Tucker Carlson. He said, we're looking at what we can do. I think that they use these private contractors, so what we're looking at is how can we fight back against the contractors. We can obviously deny them state contracts, which we will do. Can we deny them access to Florida's market generally? Can we tax them? Can we do things to provide disincentives so they can't do it? So we're going to do whatever we can to do it. But we're we're going to go after some of these contractors because they're bringing in people that are causing burdens on us 
and as we've said, tragically cause someone to lose their life. So we're going to need somebody like that in the White House next go-round. I mean, Trump uh, talked a good game about uh, draining the swamp, but he really didn't. Some of the people he appointed were swamp creatures, like the FBI director, Christopher Wray. Everybody hates him, right? And for that matter, should have fired Fauci, should have fired Burks, right? He said they're con artists now, right? But that's a little bit too late. A little bit too late. By the way, Kelly Laka over Fox News has the article, Lawsuit Filed on Behalf of Navy SEALs Facing Intimidation for Seeking Religious COVID-19 Vaccine Exemptions. The Biden administration is trying to hollow out our military. He's bought and paid for by communist China. You do realize that, right? You do realize that, right? Oh, it's this Hank Berrien over Daily Wire has the article Pentagon admits Biden left dozens of family members of U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Our own Pentagon admitting that since Joe Biden withdrew all U.S. troops from Afghanistan, several dozen immediate family members of U.S. service members are still trapped there. A memo issued by Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, Colin Call, asks U.S. military personnel and DOD civilians who have immediate family members requiring help to leave Afghanistan to contact his office. That's a report from NBC News. The memo instructs service members and Defense Department civilians to email a specific address with a subject immediate family member. That's from NBC News. Again, Colin Kyle, isn't he one of the ones that said under oath we didn't leave anybody behind? Pretty sure. According to defense officials, several dozen immediate family members, U.S. service members, are still in Afghanistan. Citing the officials, NBC News states there are well over 100 extended family members still in Afghanistan, but it's not clear how many of them want to leave the country. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you want to stay and see how long it's going to take the Taliban to figure out that you should be on the top of the list for uh, candidates to be beheaded, right? Yeah. Why not? By the way, in case you missed it, in late September, U.S. Representative Michael McCall, Texas, sent a letter to Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, in which he stated, if we abandon the family members of our servicemen and women in Afghanistan, they will certainly be slaughtered by the Taliban. Here's what he wrote. The United States' deadly and chaotic exit from Afghanistan has left a stain on our country for generations. Many Americans have been left behind by the Biden administration. Thousands, if not tens of thousands, of our Afghan partners and their families were also abandoned. 
Over the last month, I've been contacted by hundreds of Texans who are desperately trying to get friends and family members safely out of the country. While we have been able to help some, many are trapped. There are reports of several hundreds of people, including American citizens, who have been waiting over a week for chartered flights to take off from Mazar-e-Sharif Airport. That includes the family members of several Texans who currently serve in the military. They've been working night and day to safely evacuate their family members, but their efforts so far have not been successful. These brave men and women have volunteered to risk their lives to protect our country. Yet now when they need us the most, the federal government has turned our backs on them. If we abandon the family members of our servicemen and women in Afghanistan, they will certainly be slaughtered by the Taliban. I'm asking you to provide me with details of how many U.S. service members have family currently trapped in Afghanistan and your agencies are doing to secure their evacuation. Daily Wire reported on October 22nd, the State Department reportedly admitted to congressional staff Friday there are 363 Americans still left in Afghanistan. 176 are actively communicating with the Biden administration want to be rescued. Hundreds more Americans, the State Department previously said remained on the ground behind enemy lines. CNN's Phil Mattingly tweeted Friday that the State Department informed congressional staff Thursday it's in touch with 363 American citizens in Afghanistan, 176 of whom want to leave. So, um, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but Biden's a bad guy. He doesn't mind leaving Americans behind. Doesn't mind at all. And now, the announcement that Americans will be left behind in, e- in Ethiopia as there's some sort of civil war going on, on over there. All right, so, no, no, if you're an American in that country, you're on your own. That's been announced. If the civil war in Ethiopia escalates, you're an American over there, you're on your own. Biden Biden regime announced last week they stranded thousands of Americans in Afghanistan when they departed that country based on their arbitrary timeline, the U.S. turned the country over, of course, to Taliban terrorists and armed them with billions of dollars of U.S. weapons. Of course, Biden regime lied for weeks, saying only 100 Americans were left stranded in the country when they withdrew troops and closed all U.S. offices in the country. They knew that was a lie. They did it anyway. By the way, Jim Hoft over at the Gateway Pundit had to him on that one. He links to the National Pulse reporting on a statement from the U.S. Embassy in Ethiopia about how if the civil war in Ethiopia um, gets worse, and you're American over there, you're on your own. I'll put all this stuff on my Facebook page here in a little while. But I just don't ever want anybody to be able to say, well, Doc, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us? You know, they, they, they fired you for refusing the vaccine mandate. So now you're doing your own show. And nobody can tell you, hey, you can't say this, you can't say that. Right? 
Nobody can tell you anymore, hey, don't say the election was stolen or we'll fire you. Uh, don't cast any aspersions on the vaccine. Right? So now the CEO of Pfizer is saying that if you, quote, spread misinformation, unquote, on COVID vaccines, you're a criminal. You hear about that? He's got a pretty thick German accent, too. So the idea of uh, you being thrown in jail for exercising your free speech, it kind of fits with his accent, I think. The great Jordan Schachtel, independent journalist, says, there's a very interesting quote from the sleazebag CEO of Pfizer. The only thing that stands between the new way of life and the current way of life is, frankly, hesitancy to vaccinations, unquote. So Jordan Schachtel says, what exactly is the new way of life here? And he links to the CNBC article where the Pfizer CEO says, you and I are criminals. Jordan Schachtel says, remember this in the context of the horse doctor demanding that people should get annual or seasonal boosters for COVID. The Pfizer CEO wants his customers on a lifelong forced commitment to his drugs. You got a problem with that, you're a criminal. According to him, you're a criminal. Now, he doesn't get suspended from Facebook or Twitter. No, nothing like that. He's large and in charge, right? As all these healthcare facilities fire people who won't get the jab, Yeah, here's one. KUSI News, San Diego. A Kaiser Permanente nurse was recently suspended for 30 days after choosing not to get vaccinated. His religious exemption was denied. He served as a Navy nurse for 26 years and a Kaiser nurse for 17 years. Yeah, but if you... uh You disagree with Pfizer on vaccines, you're a criminal. No, no, I want to get the I want to get the audio for you on that. I really want to get the audio for you on that because um, this is serious. Okay. This is really serious. And you deserve to hear exactly what he said. No, 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 no. No, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't wrap this up yet. Okay, so he's being interviewed. He's being interviewed by something called the Atlantic Council. I'll tell you what that is in a minute. But here's how it went yesterday. There was some fake news during this period of time about uh, the vaccines, 
you know, all sorts of conspiracy theories. How, how did you deal with that and how did you navigate that? And, and where do you feel the primary source of this sort of fake news was? How, how damaging was this to us? I'm afraid it was uh, quite uh, quite a lot damaging. And uh, there was, particularly with us, we were targeted by a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, dark uh, organizations that you don't really know the ownership. Uh, you suspect that there are some countries behind. Uh, we were getting a lot of briefings from uh, CIA, from FBI, about uh, attacks that may happen to us, cyber attacks, I mean, but also about the spread of misinformation. Um, you know, th- there is uh, uh, there are two groups of uh, people, right? There are the people that they are vaccinated, there are people that are skeptical about the vaccination, and both of them are afraid. Uh, those that are getting the vaccine, they are afraid of the disease, and they believe that because people are not getting vaccinated, they are increasing the risk to them. They are increasing the exposure. So they are, let's say, mad with them that they don't get the vaccine. Those that they don't get the vaccine, they're afraid of the vaccine. And uh, they are met with the people that are pressing them to, to get it. And there is those I understand. Yeah. They are very good people. They are decent people. But they have a fear. And I understand it. Okay. So wait. He got cut off. He got cut off. I want you to hear... I want you to hear where he's calling people criminals. Okay? I want you to hear where he's calling people criminals who are against the vaccine. So uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to scroll down and get the audio on that because he said it and it's been widely reported. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. But there is a very small part of professionals which they circulate on purpose misinformation so that they will mislead those that they have concerned. Those people are criminals. They're not bad people, they're criminals because they literally costed millions of lives. And then should be treated as criminals as well, those who have done that. You got it? The CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bourla, wants you in jail. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where this guy's from, but that's not the America I know. He wants you in jail, and, and, and the guy from the Atlantic Council said, yeah, they should be treated as criminals. Got it? What's the Atlantic Council? The Atlantic Council... Claims to be a nonpartisan organization that galvanizes U.S. global leadership and engagement and partnership with allies and partners. So they're globalists. They're globalists. Yeah, as uh, Kenan Baxt over the Alberta Nationalist says, According to Pfizer CEO, if you oppose vaccines, you are a literal criminal. We've come a long way from two weeks to flatten the curve and do it to save granny. He says if you don't comply, you're literally a murderer. 
we started the show off with Geraldo Rivera saying something pretty similar, didn't we? Oh, yes. Yes, we did. And now, now we also have the story out of Australia. Whistleblower claims Pfizer falsified data. An investigation by a respected medical journal has alleged serious issues with Pfizer's vaccine safety trials, including claims of falsified data. I'll get that on my Facebook page here in a little bit, too. So what, is, uh, what does Dementia Joe have to say? Let's see. COVID has taken this year, just since the outbreak, has taken more than 100 years. Look, here's the lives. It's just, it's, I mean, you think about it. Actually, Dementia Joe said that September last year. And they want you to believe 81 million people voted for this demented idiot, this Alzheimer's patient. You know it didn't happen. You know the election was stolen. It's just that nobody's allowed to say it. Nobody is allowed to say it. So thank God. Thank you, Dan Bongino, for allowing me to come on your show last week and actually say it. We all know the truth. We all know what really happened. Now, the great Laura Logan, the great journalist Laura Logan, who was almost murdered in Tahrir Square, Cairo, Egypt, in the middle of the uh, Arab Spring, she was on uh, with Justice with Judge Janine over the weekend on Fox, and she said, you know, we know that more people are being trafficked. You know, traffic is a nice way of saying raped for money on an industrialized scale, sometimes 20, 30, 40 times a day, and we're talking about children. Now, Biden's handlers know this, and they don't have a problem with it. They know this, and they don't have a problem with it. They're in cahoots with the cartels. All right? You got it? Now, speaking of child abuse, Red State has the article this morning. Alex Parker. Virginia Public School District asks 13-year-olds about oral sex, IUDs, and smoking crack. The article says, I'm not quite sure what happened to school. Best I can tell, they got rid of it. Something's been put in its place, but there's, as of yet, no new name. And where our education revolution is concerned, Virginia's been at the forefront. The state's Loudoun County has certainly led the charge, but Fairfax County is no slouch. Case in point, a recent poll given to students as young as 13. When you were coming up in the classroom, perhaps you were quizzed on math or science, Fairfax County, Virginia, other interests abound, uh, as reported by WJLA. I think I've got the audio. Do I have the audio in that report? Sorry, I got too many tabs open. 
My mistake. As reported by WJLA, the 2021 Fairfax County Youth Survey is a collaboration between Fairfax County government and Fairfax County Public Schools. It will be offered to 8th, 10th, and 12th graders. The questionnaire begins with basics, age, grade, identity, and transgender status. In case the kids are clueless, the inspection schools them. It says, some people describe themselves as transgender when their sex at birth does not match the way they think or feel about their gender. Are you transgender? Four options await. No, I'm not transgender. Yes, I am transgender. I'm not sure if I'm transgender, or I do not know what this question is asking. What follows are questions, are queries, which not long ago would have resulted in arrest. Eighth graders now asked, have you ever had sexual intercourse? How old were you when you had sexual intercourse for the first time? Eighth graders are being asked this. Fairfax County, Virginia. And it goes on and on and on. I'm telling you, they saw what happened election day in Virginia when a blue state became red, when parents, Democrats, Republicans, and independents all pushed back and got rid of the Democrat power structure, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and replaced them all with Republicans. And so what was, the res- what was the response of the liberal public education establishment? Double down. Go for broke. Ignore it. Now, speaking of which, and I know we're running long here, but I, 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 I got something else I got to tell you. Why Congress is troubled by the nomination of Saul Omarova. The confirmation of Dementia Joe's nominee, Saul Omarova, to head the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency has taken a dive for the worse as Democrat senators on the Senate Banking Committee begin to back away. Democrat senators John Tester, Montana, Kirsten Cinema. Arizona and Mark Warner, Virginia, are all rumored to have reservations about the Cornell University law professor who specialized in the regulation of financial institutions, banking law, international finance, and corporate finance. The defection of a single Democrat in the 50-50 Senate sinks the nomination. And past positions about bank policy by Ms. Omarova are rising to levels where the confirmation is in doubt. She's no stranger to banking. In fact, she's deeply steeped in the intricacies of the industry and the many colorful characters who work in it, she once referred to it as the quintessential exploit-deleted industry. The problem for senators is she has strong views they fear will color the office of the comptroller of currency were she to become head of that powerful agency that oversees U.S. national banks. Redstate.com readers should have no doubt the head of a bank regulatory agency has real power to materially influence policy that can affect not just the financial industry, but the lives of ordinary Americans. Okay, so one of the, one of the problems here, she recently said that she wanted to bankrupt 
the oil, gas, and coal industry. Got that? This is Biden's gal. Here she is earlier this year. For certain uh, troubled industries and firms that are in transitioning. And here what I'm thinking about is primarily coal industry and oil and gas industry. A lot of the smaller players in that industry are uh, going to probably uh, go bankrupt in, in, in short order. At least we want them to go bankrupt if we want to tackle climate change, right? She wants you to be hot in the summer and freeze in the winter. She's a communist. A communist. Who went to school in the old Soviet Union. Please. Please. Don't tell me they're moderate Democrats anymore because there aren't. There aren't. Anyway, I'll put the article up on my uh, my Facebook page. I'm about out of gas. We we gotta we gotta wrap this up. Um, but I appreciate you uh, putting up with me, and I appreciate um, you telling your friends about the all new Doc Washburn show, unmasked, unfiltered, uncensored. We're 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 not gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat anything. That's not why God opened this door for us to sugarcoat anything. You deserve the truth. You deserve the truth. I remember when I was in college, I heard that uh, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German patriot Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who tried to he was part of a plot to take to take Hitler out. When Hitler took over as the chancellor in 1933, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was on national radio talking about the idolatry. And my understanding is they, they dra- dragged him out of uh, the radio studio in 1933 as Hitler took over. And they may someday drag me out of my little home studio. But in the meantime, as God allows me to continue to breathe and to continue to have this microphone, I will continue to tell you the truth. And, uh, oh, I, you know what? I forgot. Somebody said the other day, uh, Doc needs a generator. Uh, what can we do to help raise some money for that? And I, I just completely forgot. But if you go on docwashburnshow.com, Brian, am I, am I sent him to the right place? I believe that's where it is. If you go on docwashburnshow.com, is, is that where? Yeah, you can become a patron. If you want to financially support what we're doing, you go on docwashburnshow.com, and uh, in the upper right-hand corner of the website, it says become a patron if you want to chip in a few bucks to support what we're doing. Because, you know, we, we are starting to have some advertisers, but I don't know that that's ever going to completely financially support what we're trying to do here. So you go to docwashburnshow.com, and the upper right, it says become a patron, and... Um, you know, if you want to financially support us, you can do that there. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you so much. All right. Uh, God bless you. This has been, what is it, number 22 now? Episode number 22 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show on November 10th, 2021. Uh, God be with you. And we uh, hope to see you again 
Same time, same bad channel tomorrow. Until then, over and out.